Good afternoon, everyone. We are live and thank you for hanging out there and waiting for us to go live this afternoon. Happy Monday. I am Marsha Guerriero, the founder and host of the, the founder of Her Sweet Spot, a private network for women of color advancing in leadership and entrepreneurship, and your host for the Her Rise Salon Talks. And I'm so excited to have my special guest here today, all the way from France, right? And Dr. Anino Amua is the founder and managing director of Avandis Consulting, a strategy and financial advisory firm in France, a former corporate banker with Citibank. She is an experienced non-executive director and sits on the board of several organizations. She is a member of the board of uh, governors of Nottingham Trent University, a member of the Institute of Directors Expert Advisory Group on Diversity and Inclusion, and a member of the Global Advisory Board of, of UK's 21st. And she is an award-winning international speaker on entrepreneurship, emerging technologies, and diversity and inclusion. Uh, Anino it has been invited to speak on prestigious institutions and conferences, including Forbes, Facebook, Association of MBAs, Business School of Leaders Forum, and so many other places. And I'm so honored that she could be here today for the Horizon Salon Talk for International Women's Month. Dr. Amuwo received her doctorate degree in business administration from Nottingham Business School, where she is an alumni fellow. She holds an MBA from Crane Cranfield School of Management and a BS in economics from the London School of Economics. Welcome, welcome. Doctor, how are you this afternoon for you? Ah, Marsha, thank you so much. It really is a pleasure to be on your show. And I'm really glad, you know, we're having this chance to talk to each other. And it's fine. It's spring. Spring has sprung in France. It's a little bit wet, but, you know, at least the warmer weather is coming and I'm delighted to be on your show. Thank you. It is on the horizon here in New York, where I am. It's also going in and out of that spring-like weather and we're back into a little bit of cold. But, you know, we have patience. We've waded through this past yeah. year of going through so much uh, change and with the pandemic and the uh, social unrest that's been happening globally. So we're here talking about building global brands and global presence. And, you know, before we get into anything, we didn't even discuss this, but having everything that happened last year actually being such a global uh, um, impact, having such a global impact, how are you doing right now? Because it's not just a U.S. thing or, or a U.K. or France thing, it's all of us. Well, that is such a great question to start with, Marcia. First of all, today it's almost exactly a year that we went into lockdown in France. Yeah. And this was with only a couple of days notice. In fact, a year ago, it was on a, on a Friday, I, I arrived in Paris after a long haul trip to have uh, meetings with CEOs and an ambassador. And then I was to come back, uh, to go back to go to the UK for a week and everything came to a standstill, right. to a sudden stop. Yes, we knew that something would happen, but the government, governments hadn't announced it. So we had to, you know, instantly sort of change our business model, which wasn't too terribly difficult at first in any case, because um, because of the international nature of our work, 
we work around the world and globally, and therefore we work, a lot of our work is digital. But right. it meant that, you know, um, events that we hosted, which are really a critical part of what we do, we couldn't do those any longer. It also meant that um, some consultancy projects that we had, we, which were face-to-face, -face, we couldn't um, do those. But, you know, it's given us uh, another opportunity, and that is to, to engage even more so globally. And I think we'll get back to that when you ask questions about um, uh, global female leadership as well. And yeah. so there have been opportunities as well, even though, you know, at the beginning it was tough, tough for everybody. And um, I, I think that every, everyone is fed up, but we're coming out of it slowly and there's hope. There's hope on the horizon. So I think that's what's important. But it yeah. hasn't been without its losses. And, and those have really been quite terrible. And, and that's the sad part and the troubling part. I, I, I've been affected by personally with uh, different friends, extended family in this time. But I did coin the year, past year, the year of joy and pain because so much good did come out of it despite yes. all of the heartache and trouble and pain that so many people have gone through. First, let's, let's get into some of the talks we wanted to, to uh, reach today. Congratulations on, I mean, I really only hit the surface of all of your accomplishments, awards, and the many things that you have done for your career. You know, I say I amplify the voices of women of color, Black women especially, and you certainly have been doing that and for years. I want to first start with your extensive career in finance, working for companies, Fortune 500s like Citibank. Can you tell me, was it always in your path, although your degrees are, are in economics and was it always in your path to go straight for Fortune 500s? You know, it's such an interesting question because remember that once you, when you start out your career, you're usually very young. But right. do you know that at the age of 16, I decided I wanted to be an investment banker. Wow. There was nobody in my family who was an investment banker. My mother is a lawyer, my father a consultant engineer. But for some reason, I didn't know anything about this, and this is what I wanted to do. And that determined some of my choices. In fact, most of my choices. That's why I studied economics, because it was the closest um, thing to finance in those days for a first degree. We didn't have very many degrees which are finance, right? So right. you study economics, and that was, you know, your... Um, your entry level. And then I even specialize in monetary economics because at my university, which is the one I wanted to go to, which is um, the London School of Economics in the UK, which is the foremost university um, of economics, you know, at certainly at this time. And um, so everything was geared towards that. And, you know, you do all those um, interviews and all those milk rounds, as they call it, which were the recruiting, um, the, re the recruitment, shall we say, events that all yeah. these big companies had for... Um, uh, for the for the schools and uh, so that's how so you know with all the morgan stanley's and um the jp morgan's and citibank and all of those so we did all of that so th that's how i ended up working with citibank you know we share so similarities i too at a very young age in high school knew i wanted to be on wall street i knew yeah. i wanted to wear beautiful suits and <laughs> go down to, to the big tall buildings of finance. So I, I share yeah. a similar path yeah. as yours. So it is something that I was fortunate enough to, to go through those same types of programs right. here in the States to introduce me to the world of um, finance and, and financial services. Now, fast forward, 
you are your own boss. You're the CEO of, did I say it right, Avantis? Avantis? Yes. So yes. how did you transition yourself from working for large corporations in finance to then moving forward to working for yourself? You know, it's interesting because even though at an early age, I knew I wanted to work in banking, you know, in investment banking. However, when I envision myself, and when I say envision, I mean it in terms of the picture. And I remember this at that age, I must have been any, I can't remember, but some somewhere between sort of 18 and 20, or, you know, my, in my late teens or early 20s, I envisaged myself in front of a building, right, which housed my organization. So that was the physical vision I had. I can't tell you where that came from, but it was just in my head. Wow. So here I was wanting to be an investment banker and work in banking, and yet there was also a vision of being in front of the structure which I had created. So there was certainly the entrepreneurial side you know, um, in, in things. But interestingly enough, I think that what uh, really drove me, because I had started, I started out in banking, very, very busy, corporate banking back in my home country in Nigeria. We used to work all these hours of day and night and you know, our colleague, uh, friends would say, oh no, it's not possible. You guys can't be working all those hours. And it was like, oh yes, we are. But would you know that with that, I still wanted to start off a small business, which I almost did, except that I decided to go off to business school. So I didn't. So I still had this entrepreneurial thing and at business school, um, which was of course to further my career in banking, I also did courses in entrepreneurship. So to tell you that the two somehow went side by side at the same time, but what drove me into entrepreneurship, I think, was really um, coming, you know, I'd studied in the UK for many years, going back to my country in Nigeria, and then looking at the needs that were there in terms of businesses. So I'm financing at a young age, I was 23, I had, you know, these credit portfolios of firms writing credits of millions of dollars, right, and right. earning millions of dollars for the bank per customer. And yet you're sitting there in Africa and realizing there are many small com um, companies that aren't growing and we're not going to develop if businesses don't grow. Right. And so that, that is what transitioned me from that world of financing big businesses into looking at development. What can we do to create our own new businesses, our own businesses that will thrive and grow? And I saw the same problem in many, in many countries in Africa that I'd lived in. So that's really what transitioned me. That, that's so affirming and also um, very much the same journey that I'm on right now in building her sweet spot. It came out of a need of working in this field, working in FinTech, uh, helping white men get richer with their startups, working for startups, and then finally coming to a point where I'm say, I said to myself, very similarly, we can do this for each other for our community to help women, women of color, black women build their businesses and you know take some piece of the pie. So I, I'm very moved by your story and that's why it was really important for me to, to speak with you today. So thank you again for, for being my guest. Um, I'm truly honored. And in all that you've done working for global companies and realizing that there was a need for the services of your business, you certainly have, with all of your accolades, all of the mentoring that you do, uh, 
as just an independent, an individual, right? What are some steps women should do and should be thinking about as they're trying to build their own business? How important is it to build a global brand? So what are some, some of the steps we could do to begin to build global brands? You know, I think that that is even more important now than ever before. Because remember that when you're starting a business, typically most businesses are small. The vast majority of businesses are small, in fact. 90% more than that are small. And small means that your geographically, your geographic reach is also limited. That's what a small business is about. So your customers and your um, the area you're, you're operating is geographically proximate to you. So, the, so very often you didn't need, for most small businesses, do not need, right, to be involved in what is happening outside their geography. Right. That is the traditional way. But now we're seeing, and it, it isn't just today, it's been coming. We've seen the ability to use um, digital technology to reach customers and to, you know, across boundaries, right, across right. regions. And with the pandemic, what it did show, and I think that's where a lot of small businesses fell down because they were local, right? So they were used to customers walk, walking in or your customers being around you and then finding that this didn't happen. And they had no infrastructure and no way to reach customers. Now, you know, tech, tech companies, of course, automatically, that's the reason you have a platform, the ability to reach across boundaries. In fact, you don't even see boundaries. But even more so now, that even if you're a smaller business, you're starting up, you need to be able to reach across boundaries. And also it protects your business. Because right. if there's a sort of a local economic crisis or, or demand or whatever it is, you still can um, reach to customers. But then for smaller businesses, as you say, you don't have a brand. People don't know about you because within your geography, people hear about you. Oh, there's that consultant, you know, around the corner who does this or that software company or that shop or that producer of this and that. People know you, right, from reputation. But then when you're working digitally, then people don't know you. So how are you going to, to um, secure these customers? And the marketing and all the sales that you do is actually the first thing you need to do is to establish that establish that brand right so that people understand you and understand what you're about uh in order that you can access you know markets globally so establishing the brand and when you're establishing that brand it's a, is it important to have the mindset to be global so that you're actually uh, not limiting yourself because you know, when I started off my business, I did focus on building it in a local way, but I knew I yes. wanted to go further. Yes. So I did things that I knew in creating um, marketing and conversations that would reach people further away, even though I was working in a local setting to, to kind yes. of build the the brand and, and its um, necessity, right, for the marketplace. I've always maintained some sense of global reach. How important, so I heard you say protect your business. It protects your business, being global, protects sure. your business because there are so many, like in the US, in New York, we had uh, across the Eastern board, we had Hurricane Sandy, which really yes. had a huge impact on so many cities in New York, but it continued and it, I think that was the start of that emergence of going more digital, 
being able to reach more people beyond your local, even though you keep a local presence, have some type of website presence and building that technology beyond the brick and mortar local shop that you that you have. How did you get yourself to become this international global speaker? What did you do to say, you know what, I need to reach more than my local area? Yes, you, you know, first of all, you have to be intentional. But just before I get there, just to explain a little bit about myself and how um, I reached, it started off like this. I've lived in six countries, right? And automatically, when you live in countries, you become very cultural, culturally aware, and you tend to see more of similarities than differences. Right. And in all the countries I lived in, in Africa and Europe, as far as concerned, people's needs were the same, right? Yeah. And yeah. so I found it artificial, you know, all these sort of barriers we put amongst ourselves. I, I, I remember I had um, these two friends, who were three of us, and um, coming from three from different countries. They were, um, they also had um, husbands and children who came from uh, husbands from different countries. So between three of us, I think there were about six or seven countries. You know, one came from two countries. So, and yet we had this closeness. And so all I could see were similarities and not differences. Really, right. and that even drove my need to actually um, learn and study French in in France as well. And I think that that is the thing you you look at. You know, what are the commonalities first, and try to understand. Of course, there are differences, but commonalities. And once you find that need, and you find that that need transcends, you know, countries and borders, then you know you're onto something. The other thing as well is that when you speak to when you speak to people, really in the sense of what it is that they need, what it is they're looking for, you also find that that transcends, you know, transcends borders. And I, I think to the listeners here, people often say, what do you mean by this brand? Sometimes, especially for women, we may look at it as negative because we look at it as overpromotion. But what a brand is, is very simple. It is your professional identity. That's all it is, mm -hmm. okay? That's what your brand is. It's your professional identity. What is it about you, okay? And that identity, taking away the name of your organization and your position, but what is that? What is it about you that makes you different, right? Just as yeah. your name makes you a different person or your face makes you a different person, right? So that's right. what it is, establishing what your professional identity, right? And the thing about it is that in reaching your networks, you, you need to um, you look at already, you'll be surprised within your networks where you'll have some internalization, uh, inter internationalization there already and try to build from those existing networks into other networks. So always start from home, start from what you have and grow it from out there um, externally because it's, different to, it's difficult to enter just suddenly enter into a different market, right? So you need to have the links and the pathways. So professional networks, for example, networks to do with school, um, organizations that you might have worked in, a lot of them tend to be international if they're big, and use those networks and those links as pathways into um, international markets. I love that. And that's why we built Her Sweet Spot, as a way for people to build and connect further into their network, especially yes. women that are aspiring to be leaders and to, to uh, grow their entrepreneurship business, because we're not always associated in our personal space sphere with the people that could help us moving forward. Um, right now, there has been a huge, for some reason in, in all of what we're going through, there's been a huge discussion about, um, you know, furthering Black women and, and, and furthering sure. women of color. 
And there's been a lot of talk about mentorship versus sponsorship, right? Because in corporate America and in entrepreneurship, especially in the world of venture capital and having access to resources, it's usually because there is a sponsor. There are people that champion you and, and those around us, right? So as we talk about this mentor versus sponsor, who were some of your mentors or sponsors as you were climbing up in, in corporate America and as you were developing and growing your business to help you get to where you are? You know, that is such an interesting question. And it's only something that occurred to me um, fairly recently in thinking about, you know, who are, who are my mentors. And um, in to some respect, actually, my mentors have become sponsors. You know, very simply, because I was in the banking world, very, very simply, my mentors were men because predominantly they were men. Now, I never, I assure you, I never thought about it. I never thought about, you know, how many women there were in my career in university. I never did. This yeah. was many, many years later than the numbers. Now, you know, to me, it was normal. And so there was nothing abnormal about having men as, as mentors because, you know, they were my seniors, right? Yes. And so I had um, three men in, and I'm sure there's a fourth in the banking sector who are my mentors and who till today, and knowing them now for 30 years, right? Um, still, are still um, I still call them mentors because I do go to them for advice. And not only are they uh, mentors, because of course we've left organizations, they've done different things. They mm -hmm. also um, act as sponsors. So um, oftentimes if there's something or somebody or someplace I need to go, right? There are people who can actually um, speak for me and say, yes, you know, um, I know this person and I recommend, you know, and even, you know, even all through, you know, all my various degrees and all of that, there were references for me. And they right. sort of known me you know, over that part of, of my life, right? In fact, most of my life now, you know, yeah. in, in reality. So um, there, were, there, were, there were men and that was just because that was a sector that I was in. in that was, right. In finance right. and especially in fin finance, fin financial services and fintech, that's yes. what I And that was kind yes. of the opposite. What I went through was that there were women, pockets of women that would see me and help yes. me get a little yes. further along. What was some of the advice they gave you though, as you were trying to get to the next level? Is there a key <laughs> advice you've ever received that stuck with you all these years? Oh God, yes. I remember the first one, it was my boss, right? And yeah, I was in the corporate bank and I was writing my first credit. And he said something, I can't remember the exact words, but something to the effect of this. He said, it's your first credit, right? So when you're writing, you know, there'll be, you know, it, it won't be perfect or whatever it is, you know, maybe errors or, or it could be better. Right. He said, it's your first, but then it becomes your second and then it becomes your third. And I instantly understood, he didn't say more than that, yeah. that there's no question of it's the first time, do it right the first time. It was as right. simple as that. Wow. And I love that, you know, and, you know, it, it, and when I say it's stuck, it's stuck because here I was, I was 22, 23, whatever it was. And within that, um, must've been with certainly within the year, maybe even six months, one of my credits, because of course the bank was a global bank was recognized, uh, globally as one of the best written credits internationally. Wow. Ever. And 
it was just because this was my boss said to said it said to me you know so don't think of it as a learning curve you know just learn learn it now <laughs> you know yeah. as simple as that yes that's awesome so you know having a sponsor was definitely something and and i also because i've been in the industry over 20 years as well and so we didn't think of it as sponsors we just thought of it as you know a mentor and, and you know you stick close by with people who value you and share those same visions and want to see you advance as well so for you what where wh how did that help you become such the big mentor that you are and in becoming such a global influence to so many women you know because i had that i knew it was unusual right yeah and then seeing women who didn't have that opportunity i felt something needed to be done although i mean i mentor men by the way young men as well as you know women but a lot of women yeah and i felt that you know it's 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 almost like having a kind of a pathway yeah. There's no need to reinvent the wheel if somebody, you know, has done it already. You can learn from them. And I think that that is what led me because I knew that I was lucky to have had that naturally. Um, it was totally informal. It just happened. Right. But realizing that many, many didn't have, many women didn't have that opportunity. I like what you just said, that it was informal because it yes. should be informal. It should yes. be organic. And that's what makes it real. That's what makes it, you know, a lot of people are trying to now force and, and in corporations, they're forcing these um, programs for sponsorship and mentorship. And it's almost sometimes women are reporting that it feels like another job, like an, yeah. like they have to do. And if they say yeah. so, what are some things people could do to kind of not make it feel forced? Should you look for mentors sure. outside of the, the organization? You know that 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 is that is true, and I've had this question from um, a, a mentee as well, or rather, a young lady who was looking for a mentor. And what I said to her is that um, you actually, I, I don't think you need to ask somebody to be a mentor. Mm -hmm. It happens naturally. It, the, that's the best way. But the thing is, you look at you know people that you know who are senior to you, whether within the organization or external to the organization, and ask them for advice. And that's how the mentorship grows. So that is what I'd, I would advise uh, uh, younger people. Ask people who are within that career, who know, who've been there before you and ask them for their advice. And that could grow into a mentoring relationship. Yes. You know, at Her Sweet Spot, we have four pillars that we go by, which is mindset, money, marketing, and media. And okay. you have written for uh, some of the best publications out there that have a very global reach. How important was it or strategic was it for you to um, become right for publications like Forbes in order to help you grab your global reach and become recognized as an expert in your field? Can you just share something with about that? Yes, it's important because you need the visibility. That, that's, that is what is going to help you to become global. You need that visibility. And uh, when I wrote uh, for Forbes, I remember what happened was it was an organization and they said, you submit something, right? And I know that it was actually quite a painful process. But mm. in the end, not only did, did they like it, it got syndicated. It was both a Forbes and Entrepreneur. So it's um, worth the effort. 
but then you, it just helps to establish your credibility um, as, um, as an expert. So that visibility is something that very often as women leaders, we need to work on. And um, whether it's through speaking or it's through writing, um, these are some of the ways that you can establish your your, your credibility um, by, um, by becoming visible, more visible. Absolutely important. Thank you so much, Dr. Anino, for being my guest today. And before we, we I let you go, Okay. I want to ask you, and you know, most of our women here at Her Sweet Spot are navigating between employee and employer, making sure. that transition, still building their small businesses. What what were some of the experiences you went through, and what mindset should you have in order to properly navigate between these two spaces in order to make that proper exit strategy away from corporate America to go full time? I think what the what the, the real difficulty and and it's really it's an honest one is the loss of income because in the corporate world you know you're earning an income and then you leave for not earning income so the thing is you need to be prepared so that financial readiness is important you know have some something aside which can which can uh, you can live on right and you find that you know when you're in the in the entrepreneurship world you can live on on a lot less right than what you earn in the corporate world <laughs> you learn to scale back you learn, you, learn to, you learn to scale back and then to know that that the success it might come in a day but usually it doesn't come in a day it takes you know, a few years still you know i i i work with lots of uh, smaller businesses and one thing is just capacity you know you just need you need to be tenacious Really, you might need to change, you might need to pivot a little bit, but you need you need to be resilient and to be tenacious. Yeah. Really, there's no easy way around around it. Ask, 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 and you shall receive one day. Yes. Thanks yes. so much again for being our guest. Bye, guys. Until next time, I'll see you here at um, tomorrow. We'll be interviewing uh, Tracy Chambers from the um, technical director of Char at Charles Swab. So thank you again, Dr. Nino, for being my guest today. Bye-bye for now. Thank you, Marcia. Thanks, everybody, for watching. <laughs>